following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. The righteous man shall live by faith. That was the phrase, that was the verse, that was the truth that lit the fire of the Protestant Reformation. This is the passage that returned the true gospel to people worldwide. This was the saying that revolutionized a German monk named Martin Luther. He was a man who tried to earn his salvation. Let me tell you a little bit about his testimony. He was zealously, conscientiously, aggressively attempting to accumulate enough merit to gain enough holiness, to do enough works, to live with enough devotion to actually gain salvation through his own efforts. Martin fasted and prayed until he actually looked like a walking skeleton. He actually flagellated himself, which means whipped himself, until he was filled with sores all over his body. Mr. Luther continued to do penance, to go on pilgrimages, to do anything to become saved and right with God. And then the great process of awakening began. Martin read in the Bible, the righteous man shall live by faith. At first he didn't know what it meant. He later suffered a dark period of illness and depression during which he imagined he was under the wrath of God and he found himself repeating over and over and over, the righteous man shall live by faith. Not long after he recovered, In order to continue to try to earn his salvation, he traveled to Rome to the church of St. John Lateran. I put a picture of it in your outline, the steps that I'm referring to. The Pope had promised an indulgence, forgiving sins if anyone climbed the staircase. This staircase allegedly had come from the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem, allegedly. And so as he would or others climb these steps, they were supposedly stained with the blood of Christ. Pilgrims would crawl up on their knees, sometimes prostrate on the stairs, pausing frequently to pray and to kiss each so-called holy step. As he's making his way up, he's not to the top of this particular staircase Martin Luther was praying to the Virgin Mary with each and every step, but at some point, at some moment, on these stairs, the light of the gospel dawned in his heart, right there. The Word of God cut through all his ritual prayers, it thundered in his heart, and he understood. He said it, and he knew it. The righteous man shall live by what? Faith. Martin Luther rose from his knees. He brushed off the dust of that place. He stepped boldly back down those stairs and marched out of the church of Rome forever. He knew it wasn't by works, not by penance, not by stairways, but by faith. 
by faith. He soon posted his thesis on the door in Wittenberg and began the Protestant Reformation. All because of today's truth, the righteous man shall live by faith. Martin Luther rightly understood that works of the law, and when I say that phrase, the works of the law, that means I'm working my way to heaven. I'm keeping the rules. I'm keeping even the rules that God has laid out to reflect His character in order to earn my way to heaven. He understood that those works of the law, keeping the law, following the law, cannot justify anyone, only faith. Faith is not just mere belief that I believe something is there. Faith is actually entrusting myself to that belief system. It would believe, I believe that chair that you're sitting there can hold me. That's belief. But faith would be, I would what? Sit in the chair. I would entrust that chair to my faith. We'll understand this is the message that Paul continues to hammer away at in Galatians. In fact, he keeps telling him it's not work, it's faith. It's not law, it's faith. It's not circumcision, Sabbath keeping, observing laws, maintaining a specific diet, keeping the fast days, keeping the feast days, but faith. No more, no less, faith. Understand, faith. Your efforts cannot save you, only God's efforts on your behalf. Your religious righteousness can't forgive you. Only God's reckoned righteousness can forgive you. In fact, your works will not give you salvation. Only Christ's work can give you salvation. And the good news is God can save you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He can make you right. He can make you be able to be in heaven forever. He is the only way of salvation. Do you need it? Yes, you do. And why do you need it? Because of the bad news. There's not just good news that God has accomplished this and you can have it by faith, but there's bad news. The law brings death. It is faith that brings life. The law condemns. Faith converts. The law is cursed. Faith is the cure. In fact, if you try to earn your salvation, not only will you be as miserable as Martin Luther was, you are and will be cursed by God. We're looking at verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 of Galatians chapter 3. You might want to turn there or look up here on the screen behind me as they'll put the passage up there in a moment. And it will say, let's read out loud from your outline together. Here we go. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, is this going to come up behind me? Anyone? I'm, I'm still waiting for it to come up. The, the iPad? Yes? Hello? Are we, are we there? Ah, oh, there it is. Oh, wonderful. Tremendous. So what you have here is basically, as you just observe this passage, you have law. Okay, let's try it again. Law. 
There it is, law. And then you have law in that verse. And in the verse 12, you have law. In verse 13, you have law. And then you've got a law, 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 law here, right? Okay, whole lot of law. Well, interesting enough, as you observe here, you also have an Old Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, and an Old Testament passage. And what you've got here is a regular sanctified tic-tac-toe. Okay. So, but what's amazing about this particular tic-tac-toe, you say, well, who's going to win this game? Doesn't look like anybody's winning. Well, it's going to be right here. Jesus Christ and the promise that is promised to us and basically, that cross is laid over this passage to basically say the cross supersedes all of this. The point of this whole passage, you just saw it. The Old Testament teaches us you cannot be saved by the law. Listen, the common thinking of people today, right, is New Testament grace, Old Testament, you're saved by law. And the Bible says, no, you're always saved by grace, through faith, Old Testament, New Testament. And the Old Testament, this passage today that we're looking at, will teach you that the law can't save you. That's the whole point of the passage. The Old Testament teaches you that the law cannot save you. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. And he's telling us, he starts right off in verse 10. Take a look at it. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by how many things in the law? All things written in the book of the law. To what? To perform them. To do them. In other words, he's telling us that every person alive on this planet is in trouble. In fact, ever since Eden and the garden there and the fall of mankind, we are under a curse, under judgment. And everyone, he says, everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the law. And basically, God's standard here, he's telling us, is perfection. For you to go to heaven, please hear me, for you to go to heaven, you must be perfect. You cannot make a mistake. You cannot lie once. You cannot yell once. You cannot steal anything once. Not once. You must be perfect. You have to be. And the only way you can be perfect is if God gives you His perfection. Can I hear an amen? That's the point. The point is, you can't do it on your own. No religion can work their way there. You can't do the works of the law and make it. And that's what he's saying in verse 10. He's quoting the passage out of the Old Testament telling us that no slip-ups are allowed. Total obedience is required. You cannot make it unless someone gives you that perfection, that righteousness. God's perfect law is for everyone. It's for Jew. It's for Gentile. It's for pagan, heathen, no matter if you've heard of Christ, you haven't heard of Christ. Every single human being, because you are a creation of God, is obligated to obey God. You are. And obligated to do so perfectly. In fact, you must keep His law, but everyone must keep His law, not just keep it, but continually. The tenses here are basically, this must be the pattern of your life. Ongoing, not just one time, you had a good day, you know, I didn't sin much. No, no, God requires ongoing obedience to His revealed will. The only way is you got to live it out perfectly, reflecting God's character. It's the way He designed the best life, the perfect life for us, but people don't, friends don't, your family doesn't, and you don't. And that's not only bad news. Even what's even more demanding, it's not just for everyone, it's not just continual, but it means in its entirety. In entirety. He says all the law. Doesn't he, would he say that here? The whole law has to be obeyed. 
You cannot fail once. James 2.10 even shouts it this way. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in what? One point has become accountable for all of it. Get this. The punishment for failing to keep God's perfect law is a curse. It is God's righteous curse. It means His wrath is poured out on you. His anger is poured out on you for violating His holiness. Every lawbreaker is subject to divine condemnation just as the Westminster Catechism says it. In fact, quote, let me quote it. What does every sin deserve? Answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse both in this life and the life to come. The doctrine of our fallenness and our depravity is everywhere in the Bible. Would you agree? It's everywhere. 1 Kings 8, for there is no man who does not sin. Isaiah 53, all of us are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You know Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are condemned because of our sin. Total depravity means we're unable to respond for help. And what the Bible says about human nature is confirmed by human history, is it not? What the Bible tells you about you is confirmed with the world we live in. Isn't our world filled with woe, filled with war? Are you with me on this? That's our world. And we need help before a holy God. And the sinfulness of humanity is confirmed by your rude neighbors, right? By the lies of your co-workers. The sinfulness of humanity is confirmed by the self-centeredness of the people on the road these days. It's confirmed by the petty disagreements within your family. But the doctrine of depravity and the sinfulness of mankind is most confirmed, most proven by your own heart. By your own heart that you're unworthy of God. Your own guilty conscience proves it. You've lied. You've stolen. You've spoken unkind word. You've lusted. And if so, God's law condemns you. As an accursed liar, thief, pervert, and murderer. murderer. That's you. So if it's true then that verse 10 says everyone without exception is condemned by the curse of the law, which it does, then why would anybody ever try to base salvation on keeping the law? That's Paul's point. What are you doing this for? Verses 10 through 11, everyone who depends on the law is under a curse because the law curses everyone who breaks it. And here's the point. Everyone does. Everyone in this room has violated God's law. Ironically, by advocating salvation and obedience to the law, the Judaizers were not escaping God's curse. They were embracing God's curse. The very point. And regardless of what these Judaizers, they're strongly advocating the necessity of keeping the Mosaic law in order to be saved. And they keep saying, well, yeah, have your faith in Christ. Yeah, trust in the grace of God, but you better add the law. You better start doing it God's way. You better start keeping the ceremonies that are laid out in the Old Testament. And that's what they kept teaching. And Paul's saying, no. What's foolish is that he told us last week, Abraham was a believer, was reckoned righteous, made right before God 14 years before he was circumcised. And Abraham was reckoned righteous 400 years before the law was given by Moses to the Israelites, before it was even written, and just as the Judaizers and the Galatian victims should have known, justification is by faith, not circumcision. 
they should also have known that justification is by faith, not by keeping the law or works in any way. Therefore, this is what happened last week, showing us what faith can do, verses 6 through 9 that we looked at. Faith can do this. Now he's going to show us what works cannot do in verses 10 to 14. And he's going to make this argument by using the Old Testament. Take a look at these passages. Pretty clear last week we saw that God's word was quoted in the Old Testament in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 3, Genesis 15, verse 6. And then in verses 8 and 9, Genesis 12, 3. And then today... In verse 10, Deuteronomy 27, right there. Somehow it's going to work. Yep, okay. And then in verse 11, Habakkuk 2.4. In verse 12, Leviticus 18.5. In verse 13 and 14, Deuteronomy 21. Telling you that the Old Testament, Old Testament teaches that the law is no good. Okay? Ain't going to make it. The law is not going to save you. And the Old Testament teaches you this. And that's what Paul's going to prove today. So as he goes through this, he wants you to know that based on God's word, salvation is by what? Faith. It is, it is God's grace in, by, through, faith alone, not ceremony, not diet, not circumcision, not good deeds, not devotion. You cannot earn your salvation. So point number one, that was all introduction. Stop all attempts to earn your salvation by keeping the law. Stop it. In fact, would you turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, stop it. There you go. Thank you. Not strong enough, all right? Yeah, it's better. If the law cannot bless us, then how do we get salvation? How do we get God's blessing? This is what he's talking about here. This is the question that Paul's been wrestling with in this particular letter to the Galatians. He's saying, how do I stand right before God? How do I have a right relationship before God? How can God accept me? What must I do to gain his favor? How can I be justified? How can I go to heaven? Well, there are two possibilities. Are you ready? I'm going to give you both of them. This passage teaches both of them. It tells you one is right and one is wrong. And one is the works of the law. The other one is, I'm justified by faith in Christ. Another way of saying it, I'm justified by human achievement, what I do, what I achieve as a human, or I'm justified by divine accomplishment, what God did on my behalf. I'm justified, are you ready? Write it down. By my doing, or I'm justified by believing what God has done. Let me say it again. Am I justified by my doing, or am I justified by what God has done? That's the point that Paul is making really clear here. This this not only explains why a Catholic, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, and worldwide religions of every every form cannot be saved, but it also exposes so-called Christians who are trusting in emotion. They're trusting in an experience they had once with Jesus. Or a theology that they believe that is sound for salvation instead of faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Paul is super pointed here in verses 10 and 11. First, he says, don't try keeping the law for salvation. The law curses. The law curses. Verse 10, for as many as are the works of the law are under a what? A curse. That's divine judgment. God's wrath, God's anger, that's what you have here. It's basically the idea of you're going to be condemned. And the idea, as Paul is trying to communicate, is pretty simple. All who rely on the works of the law, earning their salvation, trying to get to heaven on their own good deeds, are under a curse. 
you are condemned because you can't do it. No one can be saved by living the law. You're not justified by works. You're justified by, say it, faith. Those who rely on the works of the law are people who want to be accepted on the basis of their own merits, what they do, every aspect they want of their life to somehow earn God's favor. So they do the right things, they say the right things, they go to the right church, they have a Christian family, they believe in right doctrine, they're really, really nice, they're really, really good people, they're good old boys in the South, they're God-fearing man. Whatever it is, that approach is a perversion of the law. Anyone who tries to be justified by working the law is attempting the impossible since God did not give us the law to make us good. He says, verse 10, the law puts you under a what? A curse. Part of the purpose of the law is to show us how bad we really are. The problem with the law is really not the law. The problem with the law is it exposes our sin. And the problem is our sin. And all the law can do is, verse 10, curse us. Show us that we haven't actually made perfection and showing us our sin and playing, placing us under the condemnation of God's wrath. So number two, or secondly in your outline, don't try keeping the law for salvation. The law requires perfection. Verse 10, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not buy, abide by all things written in the book of the law. And then that last phrase, to what? perform them, to do them. you got to do them perfectly, all of them. And Paul makes his point by quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 27. Basically, the challenge is, the expectation, live all the law. Live all of it. To earn your salvation by the law, you must keep all the law and all things in the law without exception. The problem is, no one has kept all the law except for one person. Who's that person? Christ. Paul's clear here, perfection, all things in the law, and you must do them, perform all of them. Paul even tells us this in the Bible elsewhere, in Romans chapter 7 verse 10, that even as a devout Pharisee, instead of giving him life, it killed him. What's he say in Romans 7.10? This commandment which was to result in life proved to result in what? Death for me. Even as a believer, he says in Romans 7.25, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. That struggle is known by everyone in this room who calls themselves a Christian. Paul even said at the end of his life, I am the chief, present tense, of sinners. Does that encourage you? Come on, please nod your head. If Paul says, present tense, at the end of his life, I am the chief of sinners, I'm encouraged. Because Paul wasn't justified by his works. Paul was justified by faith. If anyone proudly insists on living by the law to try to earn their salvation, it will curse them, condemn them to hell. It will not save them because they can't do it. So thirdly, don't try keeping the law for salvation. The law can't justify a sinner. The law cannot justify a sinner. Verse 11, I love this. Look at this verse. It says, now that no one And those of you skilled in the Greek language, you understand what no one means. What's it mean? No one, that's right, is justified by the law before God is evident. It's obvious, people. It's obvious. Somebody goes, oh, I'm perfect. Just give me two minutes with your wife, okay? That's all I need. Just two minutes with your children. That'll take care of that discussion. Faith and works operate according to different principles. 
There are two different ways to live. And that's what he's saying here. By believing or by doing. Are you getting it? By believing or by doing. We live by faith. We trust God. We believe God to justify us through Jesus Christ. When Paul preached in Acts 13, you know what he said? Verse 38, it's so profound. He said this clearly. By him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Did you get that? You're freed. Every non-Christian on planet earth is enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. They can't help it. They need to be rescued and freed, which we are freed from its penalty as Christians, and we're freed from its power. We can make progress in our holiness. See, if we live by works, then we count on our own contribution, our own efforts, our own good deeds to make us acceptable to God. We cannot have it both ways, though. Believing and doing are mutually exclusive. We cannot trust God to justify us through faith and then try to justify ourselves by works. But that's what the Judaizers were saying to the Galatians. They were saying, look, oh yeah, yeah, you keep your Jesus. Yeah, 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 trust in God's grace. But you better add the law. You better add circumcision. You better start being the ceremonies. You better start going to the festivals because that's what really makes you saved, right? So they're adding it to it and Paul's going, no, 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 no. It's either you believe God and he reckons you as righteous or you're going to earn your own way. That's the only two choices you have. You get it? That's what he's saying here in this particular passage. You know what it's like? You ever been on a dock and put your foot in a boat? Anybody do that? And if you don't either get in the boat or get back on the dock, what's going to happen? As the boat moves away, where are you going? In the water. You've got to make up your mind. Paul's saying, look, you've got to either say, I'm going to try to earn it and be perfect, or I'm going to now enable and basically put my life in the hands of Christ and believe that he accomplished the work on my behalf. Are you getting it? That's the two choices you have. You've got to go either way. In fact, Calvin explained it. They are two contrary ways. His quote in your outline there, the law, quote, justifies him who fulfills all its commands, whereas faith justifies those who are destitute of the merit of works and rely on Christ alone, yea, to be justified by your own merit and by the grace of another are irreconcilable. You can't have both. So that leads us to main point number two, only depend on faith alone for your salvation. Only depend on faith alone for your salvation. Paul illustrates these two opposites, faith or works. Now, again, from the Old Testament, in verse 11, he basically quotes the prophet Habakkuk. And he says that incredible phrase that we started with today, the righteous man shall live by what? Faith. Now, the whole context, the entire verse of Habakkuk 2.4 that he's quoting here, you need to hear it. It says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right upright within him, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, this is a very important verse because Paul uses it as the basis of the entire book of Romans as well. But the original context in Habakkuk here was the Babylonians had basically conquered Jerusalem and the prophet accused them of being self-proud, confident in themselves. They were not right in their relationship with God. They were aloof. They were depending and trusting only in themselves. And he says, that's not the way to go. If you try to earn your salvation, that's what you're doing. You're trusting in yourself. He's saying, you can't do that. You got to trust in God and his righteousness. What God wants is you to live by faith, to live by faith 
those are the only ones who are justified. Those are the only ones who are reckoned righteous and declared righteous by God. And now that they are saved by faith, they live by faith like Abraham. That's what he's saying. The passage in Deuteronomy here is basically proving in verse 10 that justification cannot be by the law. And now in verse 11, uh, from Habakkuk, it's proving that it must be by faith. In fact, the ways of the law and faith are mutually exclusive. To live by law means it's all self-effort and it leads to failure. To live by faith is to respond to God's grace and it leads to justification and eternal life. Again, one more time, salvation can never be human achievement. Worldwide, any faith, any religion, it cannot be by human achievement. Salvation is only by divine accomplishment. What God did. The law... In fact, tells us something very significant. First in your outline, avoid depending on the law because the law is not of faith. He begins verse 12 with that phrase, the law is not of faith. The law, which was starting in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments, goes all the way through the end of Leviticus. That's the law, has about 600 plus commands in it. But the principle of the law, write it down, is living by doing. The principle of the law is living by doing. The principle of faith is living by believing. Big difference. Uh, I don't know if you've had a friend like this, but there were two old friends catching up after not seeing each other for about 20 years. And during the meal, they began talking about spiritual things, and the out-of-town friend said, I've not sinned in 20 years. (laughs) I had a relative tell me that once. I haven't sinned. I'm like, I knew that lady. I'm like, oh, wow, she deceived. Um, Well, the shock of this particular friend caused him to not be able to reply. And he was trying to figure out, what am I going to say to this guy who thinks I've not sinned in 20 years? The waitress comes up, delivers their meal, and she trips. And she spills the meal on the out-of-town friend, the sinless one. And he immediately began to swear under his breath and berate the waitress. And my friend said to him, ah, your sinless streak has ended. Okay, so, (laughs) if we could keep the law, we could be justified by the law, but we can't, so we won't. So, secondly in your outline, avoid depending on the law, because the law requires perfect obedience. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them, the law, shall live by them. Listen. You're going to try to earn your salvation. You've got to practice it. You've got to live by it. Two ways to live. Again, the works of the law. Doomed to fail because no one can do it even if you say you haven't sinned for 20 years. And the other way is to be justified by faith, which alone can make a sinner righteous before God. By faith. Martin Luther explained it this way, using as if God were speaking to you. He says, quote, If you wish to placate me, Do not offer me your works or your merits, but believe in Jesus Christ, my only Son, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, and died for your sins. Then I will accept you and pronounce you righteous. Verse 12, Paul's quoting the Old Testament again, using the Scripture against the Judaizers, basically saying, you know, works ain't going to cut it. It's going to have to be salvation by believing. They can't both be correct. You can't do both. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them must live by them. And what he's saying is, you've got to do it perfectly. 
You have to do, you cannot make a single mistake of thought, of attitude, anytime, anywhere to be in the holy, holy, holy presence of God. Now and forever. That's why, number three in your outline, count on Christ alone who took your curse, who took your punishment. That's what he says in verse 13. Christ redeemed us. Verse 13, look at it. He what? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The punishment of the law. Eternal condemnation. Having become a curse for us. He took eternal hell for us. He took the punishment that we deserve. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This verse is a reminder that the penalty first mentioned in verse 10, the curse is the wrath of God. And God's law pronounces a curse on everyone who fails to keep the law, keep it constantly, keep all of it, and keep it perfectly. It is a curse we are under. Therefore, if you're going to be saved, that curse must be dealt with. The wages of sin is what? It must be paid. It must be paid because of the curse we're under. It must be removed. And this is what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross. Redeeming His people from the law's cursed penalty. Christ redeemed us. Redeemed is a word commonly used in the slave market. It's the price you paid to purchase one who is enslaved. And what it means to us is those who believe in Christ have been bought back by Christ. He paid the price on our behalf and then freed us from the slavery and the punishment of sin. The price He paid was the only price high enough to free us. It took the actual death of the perfect Son of God to free you from your sin. In fact, it's so precious. 1 Peter 1.19 says, Precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Redemption is the payment of the price. And the Greek word puts you in the agora. That's the center marketplace of ancient cities. And there, captured human beings from wars, etc., went through the indignity of being sold to someone else as a piece of property, to become the slave of another, to obey the wishes of another person for a price paid. And sometimes people actually sold themselves into slavery. Sometimes people actually purchased them out of slavery by paying the price to set them free. When the redemption sleep was liberated, that slave was liberated, it was through the payment of this ransom. And it typically was the highest bidder. Never forget as you look at this theologically and practically, that those who are not born again are slaves to sin. They have not been freed from its penalty, and they have not been freed from its power. Now, our practice of overcoming sin with the power that God gives us is less than perfect. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true, but we are regardless freed from the penalty of sin in every way. But non-Christians are not. But interesting, they would pay the highest bidder, but with the redemption of God's children, bound for slavery to sin, the price was the highest ransom the universe has ever known and ever paid. We have been redeemed by the very life blood, the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for many. 
And in order to pay this priceless ransom, Jesus had to endure God's curse for sin. Verse 13, look at it. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And you say, what is that? You ever wonder what that means? Well, to understand it, you ought to understand how they punished criminals in the Old Testament. And that's Deuteronomy 21, 22 and following. Look at it in your outline. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His corpse shall not hang there all night long on a tree, but you shall surely bury him in the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. In, in other words, in ancient Judaism, what they do, a criminal usually was killed by stoning. And then they would post that body and tie it up on a tree, a type of tree or a, a post where the body would hang until sunset as a visible reminder of God's rejection of him and the consequences of crime. I actually personally think they should bring this back. Okay, this is just as me, uh, but that's kind of the way my brain works. All right, so they should have never gotten rid of this. This would really hinder a lot of crime today, wouldn't you think? Yeah, so was it not, and it was not that a person became cursed by hanging on the tree, but they were hung on the tree because they were cursed. Are you getting it? This is very important because Jesus didn't become a curse because he was crucified on a tree. He was crucified because he was cursed by taking on the sin of his children. Are you getting that? He bore that. The point of hanging a criminal in this way was to expose his capital capital crime to public shame Hoisting his body onto the tree demonstrated that he was under God's curse, but it was not to be left there because that was not also pleasing to the Lord. It was an offense to him. But the truth of him hanging on a tree was super offensive to the Jews in the first century. Super offensive. Because they could not imagine their Messiah being cursed by God. They couldn't imagine their Messiah having to hang on a tree because it was such a defiled process. But rather than conceal that fact, you know what the apostles did in the early church? They said that Jesus died on a tree and put it in your face. They kept saying it again and again and again. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins and his body on a tree. So Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took the wrath of God. He took eternal hell for us on the cross. This is so awesome. Jesus redeemed us not by taking a curse, but by becoming a curse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, what's he say? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was treated as if he were a sinner. He was treated as liable for all that a wicked person would be liable for. Legally speaking, he became sin. And he did that for you. Because it shows what happens to you when you believe. If Jesus became a sinner for you, then you became righteous in the same way. If Christ taking the curse means He was regarded by God as a sinner, then you receiving the blessing, the salvation, you come to Him in saving faith, means that you are regarded by God as if you are perfectly righteous and flawless. Wow, would you look at you? Just look at you for a second. You're flawless. Flawless. 
Christian, would you say to the Christian next to you, you're flawless? Go ahead. Tell him. Flawless. Salvation is much more than forgiveness in heaven. When you write on a chalkboard and then you try to wipe it and clean it, no matter how hard you try, there's always residue, right? Always. In fact, you really wipe it down good. You're still trying to get rid of it, trying to make it flawless, trying to make it right, and you can't. Even when it's wiped really clean, the same thing goes on. You keep trying to do it. I'm going to work really hard, really hard, and I can't do it. Why? Because you're doing it. When Christ makes you righteous, you are a chalkboard out of the Costco box. Okay, you're a brand new chalkboard. You've been made new. You're flawless. You're righteous. Past, present, and future sins are wiped out. God looks at you as if He's looking at His perfectly righteous Son. Now that's salvation. Can I hear an amen? That's salvation. And I didn't get it by working my way to heaven. I didn't get it by keeping the law. I didn't do that. It was that I trusted in His work. Not my doing, but His doing makes me flawless. See, I can live any way I like. No, He gives you a new heart that don't want to live that way no no more. Okay? No more. Listen, and you don't just begin clean and then you get dirty and then, no, you stay clean. You have been, past tense, made righteous. Made righteous. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse, what? For us. For is on behalf of, in place of. It's pointing to substitutionary atonement. Jesus was our substitute. Listen. He received the curse we earned, verse 13, so we might receive the blessing, salvation, He earned, verse 14. He received the curse we earned, verse 13, so we could receive the blessing He earned, verse 14. Our sins and curse are given, imputed to Christ. His righteousness, His blessing, His perfection, the Spirit are imputed to us. We are flawless. You cannot keep the law to be perfect. But you were made perfect by faith in Christ. Number four, embrace Christ's work alone to bring regeneration to all men through faith. Embrace Christ's work alone. Christ's work completes the promise to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was reckoned righteous and it, was, it promised that he would be a blessing to all the nations. The regeneration could be given to all the nations, Gentiles, through faith. And he says in verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, which was reckoned righteousness, might come to the Gentiles, all the nations will be blessed, so that we, all of us Christians, would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The love of Christ is mind-blowing. OP? OP? That's for the students, okay? Christ was crucified to remove the curse. And since all true believers are no longer subject to the death penalty of the law, you can receive the promise of the gospel. What's the promise of the gospel? The Spirit of God indwells you. You are made new. You are flawless internally before God. 
He summarizes the entire chapter in verse 14. He reminds you that the blessing given to Abraham, which was perfect standing with God, that Abraham received that standing by faith, and in Abraham, all the peoples of the earth can be blessed, meaning Gentiles can be born again. Paul celebrates the promise of regeneration of the Spirit that comes only through faith, the same way Abraham was saved, which was through faith. He was reckoned righteous because he believed. All these blessings could never come by the works of the law. You can't live nice enough. You can't be kind enough. Verse 14 affirms they came only in Christ. When you're in union with Christ, all the blessings come to you, but they only come to you by faith, not by your efforts. Through the old cursed cross, nations of the world can receive forgiveness for their sins. Every nation, every people on planet earth. Through the old cursed cross, you are accepted by God's justifying grace. Through the old cursed cross, you receive the promise of the Spirit, His person, His fruit, His gifts. All that external law keeping can do nothing. Faith can internally transform you into a brand new person. You receive all those blessings by faith, not works. And the last word in the Greek in verse 14, you know what it is? Faith. Faith. So let's take it home, shall we? Letter A, justification, salvation, regeneration is by faith. So what is justifying faith? Write it down. Justifying faith is self-renunciation. Self-renunciation. Write that word down. You put away all confidence in your own works, your merit. You see yourself deserving punishment because of your sin, but you know the only way you can be rescued from just condemnation is for God to be merciful and gracious to you. Justifying faith involves, write this down, reliance upon the Lord. Reliance upon the Lord. You no longer depend on yourself. You don't depend on anybody else. You don't depend internally. You don't wait for feelings. You're not looking for experience. You are completely trusting in who Christ is and what Christ did in taking your curse, your punishment. Justifying faith, write it down, involves appropriation. You as a sinner gratefully receive the free gift of pardon, forgiveness that Christ offers, seeking only to follow Him as you submit to His authority. Justifying faith does not have to be strong faith. It just has to be true faith. Faith in the person and work of Christ. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Just a little faith will get you saved. But it's got to be faith in Christ and what He has done on your behalf. And that's what brings glory to God. Let her be. Justification by faith means salvation is a free gift. A free gift. Don't try to earn it. Be nice enough. Think of yourself saved. Look within. Merely believe sound doctrine. Follow the pattern of your family. Seek and experience. Stop it! Adding to the gospel of grace ruins grace. Attempting to earn salvation in any degree robs God of His glory and destroys any hope of salvation. It's insulting to God. He says, here it is. Salvation, take it. It's free. Just reach out. Do nothing. Since that's true, accept it. Accept the gift once and for all through a simple act of faith and continue to live and depend on the Lord by faith and your salvation from first to last. Justification, sanctification, glorification is yours as a gift from His hand. Rely on the finished work of God. That's what makes it good news. One more time. It's good news because you can't do it, but God did it for you. That's the point. Letter C. Justification is so much more than forgiveness and heaven. Listen, 
you... Am I struggling to say this? Yes! Understand if you would just live by your incredible position in Christ and what He has done for you every day. Your life is given a river of grace, full, flowing, freshening, fruitening, and free. I made that up. You have a new nature. Behold, all things become new. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit with His guidance, fruits, gifts, service, gifts. All of that now by faith. God is your Father. Your friend Christ is your King and your example. Every Christian is your brother and sister in eternal forever family. And you are no longer cursed. You are now the most blessed person on planet Earth. You have been given flawless standing before God that nothing can take away. Because if you are genuinely born again, and you mess up in some big sinful way, and you're laying there on the ground, I guarantee you, you will say, I still want to follow Jesus. He is not going to let you go. He is going to bring you home where you will live flawlessly. Don't envy the lost. Don't covet the rich. Don't seek power and position. You have more riches, more power than anyone on earth, and it's all yours because of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word to draw some to yourself, that you would use your word, Father, to encourage us that we don't have to live in fear and in guilt, but that you have made us right before you. And Father, we pray that increasingly our lives might match that belief. We know we'll not get there until we actually step into your presence. But we pray, Father, that we might continue to please you and walk with you and adore you and thank you for making us absolutely clean, absolutely flawless, and not because we did anything, but because you did everything. And we love you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.